You know, uh, Tom Brady has to be one of the most prolific uh, quarterbacks who have ever played the game of football. And as much as it pains me to say that as a Colts fan, um, he is one of the best quarterbacks who have ever played the game. I mean, how can you argue with a guy that has uh, five times won the Super Bowl, uh, four times been uh, an NFL Super Bowl MVP, 12 times he's been uh, nominated to the Pro Bowl, that's the all-star game of football, um, and two times he's won the league MVP. You know, accolades alone could tell you that this guy's a, a good football player. He's 39 years old. Um, some people believe that he might be riding off into the sunset here before too long. But I'd say that his success is uh, just on the horizon. He, there's still more to come from a guy like this. Because behind every victory is a backstory of how somebody got to that victory. For Brady, it's hundreds and hundreds of reps. He throws hundreds of reps of short routes, regular uh, long fades. He does footwork drills, the three-step, the five-step, the seven-step drop back. He wants to make sure that he is really good at what he does. Not only does he do this, but he, uh, he has a certain diet that he attains to. He is vegan. Um, he does not take in any sugars. His household, um, no, no candy bars in the in the Brady household. I'm like, I couldn't do it. Candy bars and donuts, man. That's my thing. All right. Uh, Not for him. He couldn't do that. Lean protein is what he eats and keep himself uh, lean and healthy. Uh, He has a sleep schedule. He goes to bed at nine o'clock, gets at least nine hours of sleep every night. Um, He's good because he works hard at it and he's written a a pretty good backstory that leads to his victory. And and that's the same via these other athletes. There's Steph Curry. Steph's uh, 29 years old, young kid, uh, two NBA championships already, two league MVPs already. He says that he shoots at least 2,000 shots every week he shoots in the gym. Whether that's in the middle of the season or that's uh, not every single week he shooting at least 2,000 shots a week. His, uh, his backstory is his, his hard work and his practice as well. Then there's this rookie phenom. His name is Aaron Judge. I love it. They named a portion of the stadium, of Inky Stadium, after him. It's called the Judge's Chamber. I'm like, that's awesome, man, right? <laughs> Especially for a team that doesn't uh, in any way call out individuals. They don't even put the names of their players on the back of their jerseys. So for him to have done this at, uh, at a young age, he's already hit, hit 27 home runs in his rookie uh, season. Uh, you got to be pretty good at what you're doing. He would say for him, his, uh, his hard work came and his dad um, sitting there throwing him soft toss endless amounts of times into a cage that they had in their backyard as a kid. Right? You don't become great at anything unless you work hard at it, right? Unless you put the time in it. Because behind every consistent champion uh, is hard work. There's a practice routine. Everyone has a backstory to their success. You know, the rainbow is a sign of God's love for his people. And in Genesis chapter 9, we hear this uh, institution of this covenant symbol of the rainbow. It says this, this is a sign of the covenant I am making between me and you. You is Noah in this case, but it's also you as in us as well. And every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whether I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. Now, I think the rainbow has to be one of the most beautiful signs of God. 
I mean, you look at these pictures. You guys have seen it, right? Been out, maybe it's out for a ball game and it's rained and you've gotten back into your seats and all of a sudden you see the, run, the rainbow over in the, the, the horizon. It's just such a beautiful sign of reminder of how God is, is working, that God is near and he cares for his people and that he will fulfill his promises and covenants that he has made with his people. The rainbow is a sign of, of victory. It's, it's a victorious moment, um, specifically for Noah, but for, for all of us, right? Now, God cleansed the earth with water, but he spared Noah and his family and some of each animal on this earth. In the book of Genesis, in chapters 6 through 9, <clears throat> we hear this story of, um, of uh, Noah and, and the ark. So if you want to go ahead and turn over there, we're going to be in Genesis 6 throughout the day this morning. Um, now, some of us have, uh, you, probably, even if you didn't really grow up in the church, you've probably seen Noah's ark cartoonized. Um, you've probably seen some sort of format spoken to you uh, in our uh, as in your rudimentary growing up years. Uh, or maybe as an adult, <clears throat> you went and saw the, the movie uh, Noah, the blockbuster hit that came out a couple summers ago, right? Hollywood, Russell Crowe, they put on this, uh, this big movie. Let me just side note, they didn't stick to the biblical script in that movie. So if you're wondering, they didn't. The story of Noah and the ark has been laced throughout children's storybooks. It's been put into figurine sets. It's spoken of often. But what I think for us is important to recognize is this. It is not some sort of fairy tale that we should set alongside Humpty Dumpty and Cinderella. Right? This is not a myth that should be placed alongside Hercules and Zeus. The story of Noah and the ark is true in its entirety. Please don't let your experiences, your knowledge, or maybe even your imagination limit you to what God could, could do. Just because we can't necessarily conceive in our mind this thing doesn't mean that God can't do it. I heard a story of a little girl uh, who was uh, learning about whales in class and just so happened that the week before she had learned about Jonah in, in church. And so here they were, they were talking about uh, these big fish. Now, we don't know if it was a whale or not, but we'll go with it in this circumstance. And she said, uh, she said to the teacher, um, I heard this story about Jonah who was swallowed by a fish. Well, the teacher said, said to her, said, no, this isn't possible, young lady, the whale, the fish, they, they can't swallow um, a human being. They're big animals, but they have small throats. The little girl doubled down. She stood her ground. She reiterated that indeed the big fish had swallowed the man by the name of Jonah. The teacher was starting to get annoyed at this point, a little irritated. She said, sweetie, it's not possible for a human being to be swallowed by a fish. The little girl said, I'm not sure how it happened, but when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah. The teacher replied, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? To which the girl said, well, then you ask him. <laughs> burn, burn. Whew. Right? I mean, the Bible is not a book of uh, fairy tales. It's not a book of stories that's created for fiction's sake. The Bible is a book of true stories that are created for our sake. The stories of, of God's people throughout Scripture are things that actually happened. And the life and situation of, of Noah is no expect, uh, exception to this. You see, God sent a flood upon the earth like none other before. It was not a flood that washed out the valleys and destroyed a few of the crops. It was a flood that covered the entire earth. It, literally everything was underwater. For 40 days and for 40 nights, it poured rain. And in the process of this flood, God wiped the entire earth clean of every person that had corrupted it. Only Noah and his family were spared. 
But there's always a backstory to success. You know, Noah's backstory had started quite a few years earlier. Noah lived to be 950 years old. Now, I know that seems weird for us. Again, one of those things that I can't conceive it. But in those days, the body uh, lived longer because there was less disease and less decay. Um, now, after the flood, we understand that lifespan shrunk um, quite a bit, that Moses only lived to about 120 years old. But in that day, Noah, 950 years old, that's how long he lived. At 500 years old, he had his first child. Um, and he had three sons in, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, and these uh, three boys and him, um, they would find out about the flood, and they would begin to uh, prepare themselves when Noah was about 600 years old. On this morning, I believe there's something to be learned from the life of Noah, from his backstory that led him to the moment of understanding that I'm going to build an ark that's going to save my family. I'm going to lead my family out of Armageddon. I mean, what can we not learn from a man that can say, everybody else was wiped off this earth except for me and my boys? I think there's something to learn from a guy like this. So what threatens to destroy your world? I mean, maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's some sort of addiction that you have. Maybe it's a situation that has been very difficult for you to handle, a pain or an anxiety. Maybe it's some sort of fear that's threatening to overcome you. I think last week, Ken summed it up well when we were reminded that we are overcomers in Christ, right? That the evil one comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy, he said. But Christ came to give us life and life to the full. So what can we learn from Noah's backstory? I think we learned this first, that you need to know God. And when you come to know God, you, you come to know a little bit about who God is and understand this, God hates evil. You know, I've looked up to my dad uh, for as long as I could remember. As a little kid, I thought dad was the coolest thing that had ever uh, graced the face of this earth. If dad had a motorcycle, I wanted a motorcycle. If dad was shaving in the mirror, I wanted to shave in the mirror. I still want to shave in the mirror. Come on, my little baby face, I still can't grow much of that stuff. Uh, dad, dad watched football. I wanted to watch football. I can re, I remember the times of even sitting out and waiting to see what my dad would wear on a Sunday morning so I could make sure I went in and picked something out that was similar to dad's. Right? I, wanted, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to talk like him. I wanted to laugh like him because I wanted to have a close relationship with him. I wanted to, to walk with my dad. That's the type of relationship that Noah had with God. Right? In the cesspool of wickedness, Noah was a righteous man. And in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 6 of Genesis, it says this about Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah chose to be different than the world around him. He chose to live morally when everyone else was living crooked. Was Noah perfect? No, by no means. Was he sinless? No, only Christ lived a sinless life. However, this doesn't mean that Noah um, didn't live with integrity, right? You see, Noah did live with integrity, and he truly sought God with all of his heart. Noah knew God, and he knew something about God. He knew that God hated evil. Listen to the motivation that's given um, for the flood in Genesis uh, 6, verses 5 through 7. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord God regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race that I have created, 
and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Now, we don't like to talk about these types of scriptures, do we? Who wants to talk about God grieving the fact that he had made mankind? Grieving the fact that uh, his creation had so turned their back on him so much that his heart just ached with pain. Now, it's important to remember, though, that when somebody grieves something, that's because they love it, right? We only grieve when we, we have lost somebody that we truly, truly love. God loves man and woman, but God hates evil. God and hate aren't often words that we associate together, right? You know, if we're ministering to somebody that's really struggling in a life of sin, we'll use terminology like love the, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? You've heard that before. I think sometimes we like to just throw that attribute onto God that he loves the sinner and hates the sin, but I think it's important to recognize some, some character of who God is. In Psalm uh, chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, it says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Notice that it doesn't say you hate evil. It says you hate all evildoers. Then in Psalm 11, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Now, when we look at those things, that's scary to think about because I'm a sinner and I do some evil things. So that means at a time in my life, God has, has hated me. Now, we can't love with a perfect love, nor can we hate with a perfect hatred, but God can do both. He can love and hate perfectly because he's God. God can hate without sinful intent. He can hate the sinner in a perfect and holy way, but he can still lovingly forgive the sinner at the moment of repentance and faith, right? Noah walked with God, and he understood that God's heart broke for his creation. He knew that God had a plan, and he knew that someday um, God's plan would be completely fulfilled. We know that now through Christ. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 through 22, it says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, right? If you're somebody's enemy, that doesn't mean you love that, that thing. You, 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 you've hated that thing. An enemy oftentimes says, hey, you were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself. That means brought back together you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are a holy and and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without single fault. I think it's important for us to be reminded of that. And it's important for us to know the character of God, to really search him out, to to want to be like him, to study about who he is and why he does what he has done and the promises that he set out for us as his people, which leads to the next thing. We need to trust God, right? And we need to trust that God will fulfill his promises. You know, some scholars believe that there had never been rain on the earth um, before Noah's uh, day. And we can't be for sure of that. Uh, we can be for sure that, that rain had not fallen before the fall of mankind. Um, we, we know that uh, with certainty because of some of the conversation that's had um, throughout the early um, chapters of Genesis. Um, the, the, there was this, instead, we believe, a groundwater that would have almost like an irrigation system that would have irrigated, would have kept the, the uh, obviously all the things that were living on the earth uh, alive. There would have been humidity um, that would have helped to that, and even some of Adam's responsibilities before 
the fall would have given uh, proper care for um, irrigation of the garden and, and things like that. Uh, as well, some people believe that maybe um, even until the days of Noah, that there was this uh, vapor canopy, in a sense, that the earth, remember that the people were living longer, um, that the, the earth itself was not in such a, uh, a, dist- uh, a destructive um, form at that time. There was no high-pressure systems or low-pressure systems because of this vapor cloud that may have been around uh, the earth. Um, so there was no need to produce rain. Instead, it just simply provided moisture in the morning on it like a dewy morning for us. Um, and then there's the covenant that's obviously made of the rainbow at the end. Now, it doesn't tell us that that was new, that the rainbow was new, but we believe it is, and we understand that a rainbow only comes when the fall of water has taken place from the heavens. So either way, rain or no rain before Noah's day, the, the, the things that God is asking of Noah uh, is going to take some trust from this man. Listen to the directions that are given to Noah in verses 13, uh, reading along into verses 21. It says, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth, so make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make it lower, make a lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all uh, the life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath, the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your wife's or your son's wives. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground that will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and to store it away as food for, for you and for them. All right, so let's get a couple things clear. God's telling Noah to build a boat that is longer than a football field, twice the size of a 747. He's telling the animals are going to come, and they're just going to walk onto this boat, and he's going to have to collect enough food, and they're going to go into this, this boat, and they're gonna, the rains are going to come from the heavens, no matter if it had rained or not. It's going to be a lot of water. It's going to flood it so much that there's not going to be high ground to be taken, and you're going to be the only one that is saved through the flood. It took some trust from Noah to do this. I mean, you want to talk about trusting God. Not to mention, he, he learned about this 120 years before the waters actually started to come. It, it would have taken him at least, we think, about 75 years with the tools and equipment that he would have had to build this, right? He didn't hop down to the local Home Depot or Lowe's and get the wood, right? I mean, this guy was a skilled craftsman. He and his sons would have worked their tails off day after day, month after month, year after year, for many, many years, to see a boat this size be built. It took some trust. That's a part of his backstory that he is writing. So what do you need to trust God with? Maybe it's your finances or your marriage. Maybe you need to step out in faith a little bit more. You need to start diving into the Word about how to better parent your children. Maybe it's your health or your job or your security, your joys, You just need to simply trust God that he will see fit to give you everything that you need, even when you feel like you don't have everything you need. God made some promises to us, too. 
Listen to a few of these, these that are found in Scripture. Right? He's given us a promise of forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's given us the promise of strength in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Then there's the promise of deliverance. Uh, I sought the Lord and he answered. He delivered me from all my fears. And most of all, that promise of eternal life in, in uh, 1 John chapter 2. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. You see, the, the flood waters came, right? And the flood waters rose. And they rose and they rose. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, the earth was pounded with torrential downpours. And for five months, everything was under water. Noah had to trust God. And God proved himself faithful to the promises of Noah, just as he's going to prove himself faithful to the promises that he has given us. But it's going to take some trust. And a part of trust is this, that trust will lead us to obedience, which is the final thing I think we learned from Noah's life. That we are to obey God. That trust put into action is obedience. I, I love how this Genesis 6 uh, kind of closes out this section, this kind of setup of the scene of Noah and the ark. It says this, Noah did everything just as God commanded. That's verse 22. You hear that? Noah did everything just as God commanded him. We are called to listen to the Lord. Now, some of you go, wow, that sounds great, Evan. Uh, I've never heard God speak to me, though. Well, here's how God speaks to us. God speaks to us through his word. In uh, 2 Timothy, it says, every part of scripture is God-breathed. It's useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live in godly ways. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. So if you're not in God's word, you better start getting in God's word. You need this. It's going to shape you. It's going to speak to you. God is going to show you how to get through that difficult time that you have in your mind right now, the situation you're not sure how to handle, the struggle that you've, you've been walking through, the joys, and how to better um, point your kids to who Christ is, how to be a better husband or a better wife. Those are the things that God is going to use his word to speak to you on. But he doesn't just speak through the word. He speaks through his spirit. Right? This is what it says in uh, John. This is Jesus speaking here. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you a remembrance of all that I have said to you. But the Holy Spirit is going to guide us. It's that still, quiet voice that tells us what is right and how to honor God. Now, some of you say, I've never heard it. Never heard the voice. What's the promise that is given to those who are in Christ, that we've been promised the Holy Spirit I think sometimes we build our lives around these busy schedules. We're, we're going, 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 and we have noise on all the time, right? TV, the television, the, the, uh, the cell phone, the radio. We always, no quiet. I, I can't handle quiet, I've heard people tell me. And sometimes we need to just get away from the noise. We need to seek God out in a still, quiet place. And we need to recognize that he is going to speak to us through his Holy Spirit with guidance and how to walk through that, that situation. And then finally, we know this, that God speaks um, through other followers of Christ, right? So his plans, for, uh, plans fell for the lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed, right? I, I love that in this place that we are a multi-generational church. 
And the reason why I say that is because I think there are a recognition that we need one another. Um, there are folks in this room that act as mentors to me. There are folks in this room that are encouragers to me, that are brothers in Christ. There's folks that I get to encourage and to challenge in the faith as well. And sometimes that doesn't have anything to do with age, but it sure does help when there's experience on the other end and somebody tells me something and I can say they know that because they've walked through it as well. And we need others in our life that are truly seeking to follow Christ because they are going to speak into our life. Now, it's one thing, though, to hear something, right? The term here is defined as you audibly um, perceive something, that sound is being heard. But to listen means that you pay attention to the sound that is heard, that there's thoughtful intention put to it, right? We need to listen to God. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, we are told that obedience is better than sacrifice. Or as Jesus said it himself, if you love me, obey me. It's that simple. If you love me, obey me. I think that's uh, why Bob Shannon wrote this. He said, baptism is not really the matter of water, but of will, right? It's an act of obedience. It, doesn't, it's not, it does not save us because our bodies have broken in the water. It saves us because our wills have broken for Christ. I, I like the story of a, a general. His name was General Richardson. He's a retired chief of the chaplains of the United States Air Force and if you're in the military, you understand how rank and uh, uh, command work, right? That uh, if, if somebody above you says to do something, you do it. So when Richardson uh, heard this uh, call from the Holy Spirit, he, he felt that he needed to salute and to fall into the rank and to obey the orders. The only thing is they were a little weird. He said I, he woke up at 5.30 one morning. He was prompted to go get new glasses, I was like, why in the world would I wake up and go get new glasses at 5.30 in the morning? He said, my wife had been telling me to do it for years, but I had just never really wanted to. Um, but the prompting was, was quite different. And he said, I just came at such a strange time that I went ahead and got up. Now, there's no optometrist open at 5.30 in the morning. So he headed down to a local um, breakfast joint and got breakfast. And then as soon as the, the closest vision center opened up, he headed that direction. When he got to the shop, he felt the nudge to tell the woman that he was a chaplain in the armed services. He resisted for a little bit because he knew what it would sound like. Hey, I'm a chaplain. Make sure you put my military discount in on those uh, glasses you're putting in. So for a while, he said, ah, I didn't want to say anything. But with continued prompting from what he said was the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm a chaplain. I'm just here to get some, some new glasses. He said, suddenly the woman behind the counter began to tremble and tears began to well up in her eyes. She looked at him, and with shaky voice, she said, Sir, my husband is in the military. He's stationed abroad right now. And yesterday, I found out I have cancer. And I have no idea what to do. So I sat yesterday evening with a friend of mine, and I prayed that God would send me a chaplain to talk to. And here you are. Coincidence? I don't think so. Obedience? You bet. You see... Our backstory leads to our victory. Our victory has already been found. Our victory is in Christ. Last week, that's what we were reminded of, that we are overcomers in Christ, that we are called to live a life of victory. I think sometimes we walk into this room, we come in solemn and sad, and I'm thinking, man, we have something to celebrate. Every Sunday, we walk in. Every day we wake up with another breath of life. It's not, I, I can't wait until I get to heaven. I know that heaven's going to be much greater than this place. But what if we recognize that eternal life started the day that we gave our life over to the Lord? 
right? It's from that moment on that we get to live eternally with the Lord. And so that I can walk daily and in victory with Christ. We need to recognize that. That the the end's already been written, right? The success has already been had in Christ. We just get to write our backstory now in this life. We get to recognize that, you know what? I need to know God more. And there's going to be days that you're going to just simply have to trust that God's going to see you through the day. And ultimately, we need to obey God. Did you catch that passage again in Genesis 6, verses 8 and 9? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with his God. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? I mean, Jake, but Jake found favor in the eyes of the Lord, right? Scott, Scott was righteous, a righteous man, blameless among the people of his times. And, and he walked faithfully with his God. You put your name in there. Wouldn't you want people to say that about you? Because that's what's been said of you. You have been found, you have found favor in the eyes of God. You have been chosen in God. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace. And grace in its most rudimentary foundation of understanding is this unmerited favor. That's what grace means. That God has found favor in our eyes. And because of that, you have been saved. As Noah was chosen, so have you been chosen. The victory is already yours in Christ. You just get the right, your backstory.